0: Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a coffee break podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this week's episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. We are doing another in our series of Trauma-Informed Parenting 101 with Dr. Jared Brown. Welcome, Dr. Brown. Thanks for
1: having me back, Kathleen. Appreciate it.
0: And we were just kind of chatting before we started that there are back episodes. So go ahead and if, you, if this is your first episode that you're listening to with Dr. Jared Brown, make sure you go back and listen to the other two that we've already recorded. They're always released the first Wednesday of every month. And today we are starting a new topic and I will let you introduce that, Jared. Yeah, you bet. So we're going to... Dig into the topic of
1: self-regulation and why that's important to understand through a caregiver lens. I, I give a lot of talks in the topic of self-regulation and it really has implications for all fields of study and really all aspects of life. And the reason why I say that is with having greater self-regulation, we're in a much better position to live a healthier life. We're typically happier. We're we're more likely to have better mental health and we're more likely to live longer. There's tons of research to support the fact that having greater self-regulation, self-control is really linked to having improved social, emotional, developmental, and physical health outcomes, just to name a few. On the flip side of that, if someone has lower levels of self-regulation, they're typically going to be more impulsive. They might have that inability to delay gratification. And when that's Mm. the case, in some cases, lower levels of self-regulation have been linked to having more health risk behaviors, obesity. There's plenty of studies about obesity and lower levels of self-regulation someone who has a drug or alcohol problem, partially that's rooted in a self-control deficit. People that have a really hard time maintaining employment and get mad a lot and may say things to rub people the wrong way and they lose friends and they, they really struggle with just connecting with other people. Self-regulation could be one component. Mm-hmm. a very, very high percentage of people who are in prison, in jail, and come into contact with the criminal justice system do have lower levels of self-regulation, so there's a lot of reasons why self-regulation deficits can happen, but if we, we really look at it through that parenting lens, let's say a parent has greater self-regulation, they're going to be in a much better position to probably manage their stress more effectively they're going to have greater self-awareness so that they're probably going to be in a position to understand their own strengths, their limitations. And that, that's a sign of, of great strength. If we know our own limitations, we're then in a better position to ask other people for help or seek out some advice or training or education. Having good self-regulation is also linked to just having good personal awareness and knowledge too so just having greater knowledge around parenting strategies that may work and may not work and part of self-regulation too there's a big component called cognitive self-regulation where that's kind of related more to the executive function of the brain Mm -hmm. where that's related to like decision making problem solving goal planning All of those things. There's many different dimensions of self-regulation. If you want me to talk about them today, I sure can. But interestingly, too, like we have better self-regulation as a parent. We're probably going to be in a much better position to plan and organize and use time effectively as well. And we're probably going to be less likely to burn out and deal with like sleep issues, all of these things. So this is a really critical topic to be aware of. So, Kathleen, any thoughts on that? I'll, I want to stop for a second before I go deeper into the weeds.
0: Right. I, th- I think this is a really important topic because the question I get asked more than any other question is directed towards their children's behavior. What about the behavior? And sometimes we're missing that link of self-regulation. And it's almost as if in, I try not to be just so forthwith about it, but it's like, what about your behavior? Or what about your self-regulation? Because often we point our fingers at our children and their behavior without looking at our own lives and saying, what can I do to self-regulate myself first? Because if we regulate, then our children are going to mirror our regulation more readily. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. I'm not going to say it's going to be like 100%. But I think addressing that part of it is the importance of self-regulation as it comes to the behavior in your children because that's what people really want to know about. Like, how is this going to help my child if I deal with my own self-regulation?
1: Yeah, you you mentioned it, parental modeling. A lot Mm -hmm. of this has to do with what kind of environment that child grew up in? Were they in an environment where parents were really regulated and kind and calm and patient or Mm -hmm. were they in an environment where parents are under a lot of distress? They could be dealing with personal distress. Maybe Mm -hmm. they just lost a job or they're struggling with money management or they're dealing with some relationship conflict or maybe there's some, some school related issues and, Maybe there's a grief, some grief and loss issues. When caregivers deal with a high level of distress and the, and the children witness it or can feel that energy, depending on how long it goes on for, obviously, no parents are perfect. Mm-hmm. But if it's a consistent pattern of behavior over a longer period of time, those things can contribute to children kind of having more self-regulation deficits themselves. So as that child gets a little bit older and enters a K through K-12 setting, and that child's dealing with self-control deficits, self-regulation issues, they could enter kindergarten and almost present as if they have ADHD, when in fact mm. maybe, it's, maybe there's something else going on. Children who lack good self-regulation too are much more likely to not sleep well. So maybe they're chronically sleep deprived and they're just fatigued and now they go to school and it looks like they're not paying attention. They're more irritable. They're, they're more agitated. Could there's something else be going on? Are they sleep deprived? Is it a trauma trigger? And right. I forgot to mention too with, with this think of the era of COVID-19 and all the stress that that's put on our society, some Mm -hmm. more than others. There is evidence to support the fact that COVID-19 and all the things that came with that have really amplified a lot of these things that we're talking about today, in particular, parental burnout. That's a huge topic I think you need to be aware of because if parents are burnt out, they're much more likely to have lower levels of self-regulation and self-control. So they may come off as more short-tempered where they might the, the littlest thing could irritate them and they may have a behavioral reaction where they start yelling or screaming at the child parental burnout's a real thing you hear a lot about burnout in the workplace but there's there's burnout in the home too so we need to be aware and have good self-awareness that If we're burned out, if we're feeling overly stressed, it's okay to take breaks. It's okay to ask for help because when we are just depleted of our energy, we're not sleeping well, there's a higher likelihood that we're probably going to be dealing with some physical health issues, more mental health challenges, maybe more anxiety, more depression. All of these things can just exacerbate parental self-regulation kinds of issues Here's another thing, Kathleen, to think about: What happens if Mom, it was pregnant, and during the pregnancy, she was dealing with tons and tons of stress, and she was dealing with a lot of just physiological dysregulation, but Mm -hmm. also maybe cognitive self-regulation deficits. All of that negative energy, that stress, can be passed down to that developing child in utero, and in some cases, depending on the the type of stress, the type of trauma mom was going through, that can really impact the maternal fetal attachment pattern. So it's so important to understand this topic within the context of attachment theory as well because attachment really begins at conception. A lot of people say it begins when the child's born. Absolutely not true. It, it begins at conception because there's so many different neurophysiological, biochemical processes going on during pregnancy that can have a really negative or positive impact on that developing child. So when the child's born, let's say the child is born, and during the pregnancy process there's a lot of trauma and stress and, and things of that nature. Sometimes the child's already going to be born and there might be even more temperamental more irritable They might have more food sensitivities more sleep problems When that's the case that puts even more added pressure on that family system Because if the child is dysregulated and maybe not sleeping most of the night Mom or dad are probably not sleeping as well So we really need to think about this through a prenatal lens as well as an early childhood lens
0: Right, and I, I you know, I mentioned that and because of uh, adoption and foster care, often when a child comes home in air quotes to us, then they've already had those prenatal traumas. And I even have adoptive parents who'll say to me, "Well, you know, we we got this child when he was born, so there are no issues." Well, no, that's not really the way it works. Was there stress during the pregnancy? Was there alcohol or drugs? During the pregnancy, all of those things really can play havoc with a developing fetus, and which you're mentioning. But I want to kind of pull back to another thing that you said earlier, because I want to say to moms, you know, you said you know you need to know when to get help because moms get burnout, and more than any other time in you know in my lifetime, because of the pandemic and everything, moms are burnout. It's okay to ask for help. Moms struggle with asking for help more than anyone. Raising my hand here because we somehow feel as if holding the family together is our responsibility because we're natural at nurturing. But I'm just saying to you, mom, if you're listening and you're burnt out, it's okay to get help. It's okay to get someone to come and sit with the kids for a while so you can take a break. And you can go out and take a walk or whatever you need to do. Because if we can't self-regulate, then it's only going to get worse and not better until we address that. Would you agree?
1: 100%. Yes, absolutely. And it's about taking care of our emotional health, Mm -hmm. our physical health, our behavioral health, our spiritual health. And staying in contact with your health care provider getting Mm -hmm. good sleep, eating healthy, exercising. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's yoga. Maybe it's joining a support group. Maybe it's just taking a break for a night and maybe the child stays with a a trusted caregiver a loved one or a trusted friend just to take a break. Mm -hmm. Being aware of our screen time habits too because there is tons of literature that support the fact that excessive screen time exposure can really erode our self-regulation abilities in adults and in children so really being aware of how much time we're on the screen how much we're doing things if we have a go 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 mentality and we are just go 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 from sun up to sun down that's not good if we're skipping meals if we're not drinking enough water being aware of how much caffeine intake you have if you are using a high amount of sugar-sweetened beverages, all of these things are really threats to our emotional, behavioral, and physical health, to name a few. So really looking at this, I, I like to look at it through kind of a integrative, holistic mind-body approach because lots of things can happen with our body, mm-hmm. and it can really wreak havoc on our self-regulation abilities, to name a few. So then that can trickle down into problematic caregiving practices in some cases, and it can put a lot of strain and stress on the relationship with someone's married or with other family members, friends, and co-workers as well. so this just doesn't impact the family system. it can be carried over into the school environment, the work environment, and so on
0: right and i I know that um the body keeps score and sometimes we don't check the score until it's so high. I mean, when you were mentioning all those things, I think of all the moms I know that use caffeine to keep themselves going. They don't eat until two or three in the afternoon because they're too busy with doing things with their kids and school and sports and everything. And it really, it really adds up. And when it adds up and it spills over into every area of our life. And that's why, you know, I've had my um, moments of health breakdown where I've had to just step back and say, I need to recalibrate, I need to pay attention to what my body is telling me. And then then my family gets healthier because I get healthier. And I think that's so important. And that's what I mentioned before we started recording that this particular episode is releasing at the beginning of December. So maybe you could give us some advice, like how do you approach the holidays with this in mind because there are so many cultural expectations you have to go to all the things you have to buy all the presents you have to buy for everyone and sometimes especially with our kiddos they can't they're struggling with regulation because of maybe capital letter syndromes or other traumas and going to all these things sends them over the edge which sends us over the edge so maybe if you could address that that would be really helpful
1: It's a, I mean, if we, we live in a culture where it's a rat race, so Mm -hmm. learning how to set boundaries and limits and, you know, it's okay to just slow down a little bit. We don't always have to just go check off a box and buy a gift for this person or that person. That's just my opinion. I think it's very important too to have some flexible thinking some mm-hmm. adaptability too and, and a lot of self-compassion kind of cutting ourselves slack we're, we're doing the best we can maybe too mm-hmm. the holidays can be overwhelming for a lot of clients I work with the holidays are a huge trauma trigger especially if they've had histories of childhood trauma, abuse, loneliness divorce, rejection kids that were thrusted in the child welfare system and had termination of parental rights this is a tough time of year I mean, all times of year can be tough, but especially during the holidays for some individuals. I think empathy is a, a mm. huge thing, too. Being aware of our own empathy, our empathy for others, validation and attunement, and engaging in like good perspective-taking and active listening, mm-hmm. and really learning how to be patient. I mean, I think that's one of the most important, strategies to learn with some of these things because we if we lack patience if we have a tendency to be impulsive or have that inability to really delay gratification and we just act on the first thing that pops in our mind that can lead to a host of issues so really learning like delayed gratification more patience I think that is helpful Mm -hmm. I think it's also helpful just during the holidays or any time, too, working on being more creative. Creativity is a very positive parenting approach. Focusing on collaborative problem solving, that can be really helpful. Maybe someone's tapping into their emotional or social intelligence. So these are things I would highly recommend I think anything, too, we can do individually and collectively and through a family systems lens to build up our resilience, we can't go wrong with building up resilience because think of resilience as kind of like a bubble around us or a force field when things come at us that are really tough, it helps us bounce back from it more. It's not going to like stop it from happening but we may be more bendable more flexible rather than breakable so promoting resilience and how do we promote resilience laughter Hmm. human connection being around animals maybe it's gardening volunteering getting good sleep doing things that fill our mind and body and soul with positive things Mm -hmm. so instilling more hope or gratitude or optimism. Those are things that can be very, very helpful. Maybe it's learning a new skill or taking up a hobby or not taking your work home and having a good work-life balance. These are things that can definitely help build resilience to name a few. And if I could just share maybe just a few more other topics just to plant the seeds with your audience that kind of relate to what we're talking about today, that would be awesome.
0: Yeah. Yes, that would be great.
1: So there's something called parent-child behavioral synchrony. And that is when the parent and the child are really engaged. They have kind of a mutual kind of connection in terms of back and forth, shared attention, eye contact, kind of reciprocal communication. Mm-hmm. And it's coordinating behaviors And when you study the early childhood developmental literature, being aware of the topics of joint attention, social referencing, and mind-mindedness, these are things that parents can do early on in life with children. And most parents do it just naturally, giving eye contact to the child, being attuned, um, being just present, smiling, showing facial features. These are all things that can help really build that child's attachment, as well as it can really serve as a form of regulation.
0: Can I give Yourself? an example of that? Oh, yeah, you okay, so when you were saying that, I was thinking about one of the ad- adoptive parents that I was working with, and she was really, she'd only had the kids home for a couple months, and she was really struggling. And so an example of what you're talking about is I said, well, you know what are you doing with them and she asked me well what do you mean i said well are you getting down on the floor and like making eye contact and playing with them so she got down on the floor after my advice and just started playing legos with them and play-doh with them and then she let me know a couple weeks later she said that was a game changer she said i was feeding them and doing all the things that you do with kids but i didn't realize how I that I wasn't connecting with them so that's just one example of one way you can do it and it's so simple is it does it take your time but to me it's investment parenting is sitting down on the floor building something with them playing with play-doh painting with them whatever it is and asking them questions and letting them answer and letting them talk and you're connecting that's how we connect with them
1: Love it. Absolutely. And part of what you said without saying it is mindful parenting, staying in the moment, not Mm -hmm. getting kind of hijacked by other things and just really looking at that child and staying in that moment and Mm -hmm. being aware of our own feelings in that moment as well. Kathleen, have you heard of the topic of mentalization? No. So there's mentalization and parental mentalization. I do a lot of talks on theory of mind,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and sometimes theory of mind and mentalization are talked about interchangeably. So it's basically mentalization is kind of our ability to engage in perspective taking and understanding other people's and our own internal mental states. Okay. like thoughts, wants, needs, emotions, tensions, things of that nature. And if you really want to get deep in the weeds and studying kind of these topics we're talking about today, I encourage your audience to learn about parental mentalization. So this is just really tuning in and and understanding that your child has their own mental states and modeling that and really using mental state language and teaching children words to describe their emotions and there's something in this literature called emotional bridging as well so you're really helping that child connect the dots with their emotions and how to name them and label them and process them and as they get older this is going to help them be more successful in life
0: i agree i didn't know it was called that but i've used that before one of the things i did with one of my kiddos who was just kind of stuck in anger all the time and he'd had a lot of trauma and I can't share his story but that because that's his but one of the things I did was I made all of these little cards of facial expressions And we would go through them and talk about different emotions and how they make us feel. And, you know, if you went to a, if you got a birthday cake, you might be happy and surprised. And if you ever felt that way. And so I worked through those cards with him for several years and that really helped him begin to realize what he was feeling at specific times. And realized that he had more emotions than anger and then my one of my sons when he got a little bit older he was working with a boy he was on the spectrum and he borrowed those same cards from me and used those with him so is that what you're kind of talking about referring to
1: i think that's an aspect absolutely of it and there's another ask another term that relates to what you're saying it's called parental responsivity. This Hmm. really, think of that as a, a really responsive parenting interaction style where a parent who is responsive like this, they're going to show more parental warmth. There's Hmm. plenty of research literature on parental warmth and parents who are more warm to their kids, like emotionally warm, Mm -hmm. that forms attachment, trust, parental kindness. Nurturance and parental dependability and stability and being emotionally present Mm -hmm. and being able to provide feedback to your children in an age-appropriate manner that's well-regulated. These are all things that can lead to positive developmental outcomes for your kids, form more attachment bonds, and help that child form more self-regulation. So that's called parental responsivity.
0: That's amazing. So we're running out of time here. I feel like these go so quickly. But do you have any final things that you would like to wrap up with?
1: I think another topic to be aware of is parental self-efficacy as well. So parental self-efficacy is basically that caregiver's confidence in their own ability to be a, a, a good, stable parent. So If a parent doesn't have good self-efficacy, they might lack the belief or confidence that they're a good parent. And if that's the case, they may be more likely to be dealing with higher levels of stress and burnout Mm. as well. So we really want to be aware of really parental self-efficacy. And I think I'll leave it on this note because I know we're running out of time. Just general things that we can do in the early ages of a child's life that can help promote development is again parental really self-regulation protecting that child from harm mm. any kind of harm emotional harm physical harm right. environmental harm being aware of environmental toxins lead mercury exposure pollution whole bunch of literature on that creating a very calm and stable and consistent kind of environment that is very very important to form that base of attachment getting good access to nutrition but sleep staying in contact with your healthcare provider and really getting that child involved in like exploration and play behaviors Mm. stimulating and enriching environments the last thing we want to do for young kids is to be glued in front of the screen all day long that is very bad for brain and body development so just Common sense things, being around animals, other kids, playing, making things, those kind of things can all be very helpful for promoting positive child development, which can also be a very critical aspect of promoting self-regulation.
0: Yes, I agree. And I will just say to add to what you were saying about um, self-efficacy is, you know, parents, if you're listening and you're like, you know what, I didn't have a really great childhood, well, you can reparent yourself. And you can take control of the reins and become the parent that you want to be. It's not, it's not one and done. It it can change. It can. So Absolutely. I want to encourage you on that because if someone's listening and they're like, "Wait, I didn't have good parents," it's okay. You know, it can change. You can change that. So thanks for joining me again today, and um, Dr. Jared will be back next month.
1: Thank you, Kathleen, and thank
0: you, everyone. Episode I just wanted to remind you and share this exciting news about a collaboration I'm doing with three other amazing moms to start the new year right. The Tackling Mom Stress Five Day Challenge. Are you dreading the chaos of the holiday season? Are you ready for the holidays to be over already? What if you could leave the holiday stress behind and create a better new year in just 15 minutes a day? So join us moms to learn how to make time for self-care, take simple steps to reset your budget, connect with your kiddos even when you're stressed, and be happy for real. Well, if that's you, if you want all those things, you're in the right place, and I will share the link in the podcast notes because we moms have been there and we can help in just 15 minutes a day. This free tackling mom stress five-day email challenge starts on December 26th and runs through Friday, December 30th. Stacy from Bold and Daring Moms will be addressing three reasons why moms struggle to make time to care for themselves and simple steps to change that. Shelley from Making Happiness Happen will share three tips to stop faking it and be happy for real. Megan from Frugal Made Simple will be sharing three things you can do today to help improve your budget all year. And Kathleen, yours truly, from Trauma-Informed Parenting will be sharing three steps to keep connecting with your kiddos when you're stressed. So find that link on TraumaInformedParenting.com in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find Trauma-Informed Parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at Parenting.com.